Welcome to the Swaplix Podcast. My name is Brandon Lede. I'm Brittany Lombas. I'm James Cohn. And I'm Hannah Rassinen. And we are recording in James and Hannah's living room in Mid-City, New Orleans. And this is the podcast version of the movie review website, Swaplix. I have no preamble for this episode. <laughs> I guess it's Mardi Gras time. That's something we could talk about. Yeah. Yeah. Eh. We could. Yeah. I mean. I'm not really feeling the season yet. Which is pretty sad. We no. went to our first parade last night, and yeah. it was okay. It was fine. Was it like spooky? I mean, it was Chewbacca's, which yeah. is like sci-fi oh. theme. But yeah, you can only see so many Princess Leia's and Chewbacca's. Yeah, Chewies. It was also um, hard for me to see in general because I'm short. Short. Yeah, because well, there's, <laughs> there's no actual float, so it's right. just like walking right. crews. Yeah. So it was relatively crowded out there. It was okay. Yeah. yeah. I feel like we normally have a really hard time getting up, but we were in like the second row and I did manage to find a little passage between people that I could see the theme of the floats. But yeah. It was fine. They also had to shorten the route. So being that the route was shortened and more people would have had to cram in if the same number of people wanted to see the parade, I felt like it wasn't that packed, but there were a lot of people out. I feel like it's probably the safest parade to go to, considering mm-hmm. like it's not a lot of people coming from like out of town to see Chewbacca. Right, exactly. Right. So yeah, I get that. I know I kept wanting. To, I'm like, should I go? I probably should have gone to Chewbacca, but I'm. I don't think I'm gonna go to any yeah. other ones just because like yeah. I'm so freaked out. Yeah, I just I had my N95 on. Oof. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm gonna yeah. go to Endymion because it's right by my house and <laughs> yeah. I can't help it. It's I my mean, least favorite parade. Yeah. Oh, and it sucks. It's like, horrible. No, I don't. I've only don't seen half it, of Endymion in my entire life. <laughs> I always get injured. I feel like they pelt they things so hard. They throw way too They're, hard. Well, it's like yeah. someone die the last time. Fuck you. Didn't someone get rolled over by an Endymion float too? Like, Oh, was that Endymion? I remember definitely 2019, someone... there were two float deaths. Right. And before that, there was also a drunk driver who drove into the Endymion. Yeah. I remember yeah. that. Yeah. that was oh, that's true. Up. I'm going to do something on Fat Tuesday. It might not involve yeah. wearing a mask in the French Quarter, which is usually you know what we do. But like, I will leave my house and do a thing just to mark the right. occasion. Let, let, let me know what you do because my Fat Tuesday is totally open. Okay. It might just be sitting on the bayou. <laughs> oh, I'll come, share, yeah, I'll come yeah. share some wine with you on the bayou. Yeah. I still might dress up as divine. Yeah, do yeah. it. Yeah. And just what, sit in your apartment? <laughs> yes, maybe. Oh, <laughs> oh come, come and drink on the, on the bayou. I'll go to the bayou. Yeah, yeah, bayou drink wine. on the bayou. <laughs> Crew de wine. <laughs> de Everyone wine. in this living room is pretty much my bubble, so. Uh, yeah, no, that sounds like invited. fun. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like that's like a good like dipping my toes back right. into the waters of Mardi Gras. Yeah. Well, since we're not parading too hard this year, is anybody watching movies with their downtime? I saw a movie with you. Yeah, we did. <laughs> <laughs> I went to take a long lunch at my job to go see Jackass forever. And my boss convinced me to take the entire day off. Amazing. So you and I went to go to the theater. Yeah, and I went in early so I could take a basically a half day but not use any PTO. So it was nice to go see a movie with your bud. It was um, an event film. Aww. Yeah, and it was so pumped to hear about this. It was me, Brandon, and a, a baby. Oh the yeah, theater. there was a baby in the theater and it was um broad theaters like baby friendly screening of the week. So like That's a nice. lot of babies are in the room with jackass this weekend. Yeah, and it was very very fun, very heavy on the male nudity. Probably the most on-screen penis I've seen in an American mainstream film. And assholes. Ever. Like yeah. I actually saw what Steve-O's asshole looks like and it was Is it really red? No, it just <laughs> 
like a pale brown. Well, he was farting, so he was pushing out, you know? Yeah. You don't really get that, like, suction in area. <laughs> That's what it was. Yeah. They were trying to light a fart underwater on fire. Amazing. Yeah, which is like Johnny Knoxville's dream, his boyhood dream, to light a... <laughs> An underwater fart on fire. Right. Yeah, it was just, a, a lot of fun. I just love, like, like, men pursuing their boyhood dreams with a budget. You know, like, I will go to whatever lengths necessary to light a fart on fire underwater. And they've been working on these dreams for like 20 or 30 years yeah. now. So like there's like a more sentimental quality to right. it than Beautiful. there used to be. They're like 50. 50 years old now. Yeah. Wow. And of all the movies to miss work for with your bro, <laughs> right? like, this is the one I feel I'm very like, appropriate. I'm a responsible adult. I'm clearing my entire work day to go see Jackass. In the movie <laughs> <laughs> so weird. Did your boss know that's what you were going to see? I don't remember if we had that conversation. I was like, is that why they're like, oh, please take the whole day off. I don't want want you to come back after that. (laughs) I actually got a call from one of our salespeople, like when I was back home getting ready for Brandon to pick me up. I was like, yeah, I'm not going to be back in the warehouse. I'm going to see Jackass with my buddy. (laughs) But yeah, it was was a fun time. It was very satisfying. We laughed. I want to say the entire like 90 something minutes of the entire. Oh, I had a grin on my face the whole time. So much genital mutilation, just constant penises being flattened and cut and stomped and just like manipulated in all these like horrific ways. And everyone in the theater was having a good time. I don't know. I was just saying like last time we talked about Jackass was pretty recently when Mm -hmm. we did reality TV movies. And Mm -hmm. I was saying that one was kind of like the reality TV version of Pink Flamingos, which I think is still kind of true. But watching this one, I was like, I don't remember John Waters ever being this like heartfelt or like sentimental yeah it's a very like sweet series about friendship at this point because they've been doing this for so long yeah and it it was like especially towards the end when they're showing clips you know because they redo a lot of the stunts they've done before but like just to watch like johnny knoxville as like a 25 year old and then we cut like you know it's 20 something years later and he's like he's an old man that has kids and you know and they dedicated the movie to ryan dunn who passed away and they're also passing on the legacy of Jackass to this new crop of, you know, YouTubers. YouTubers and so, so yeah, it was like kind of heartfelt and sweet. And I, yeah, I got a little emotional towards him. Like, damn, I like kind of grew up with these people and they're getting older and I'm getting older. And yeah, they, they've become sort of like substantial cin- cinema just by like hanging around long enough. <laughs> like, uh, I don't think they would have gotten the same accolades and like glowing reviews uh, 20 years ago that they're getting now. What is it? Yeah. And it's funny too. There's like all these academic papers written yeah. about them and it's like taken very seriously now. And I don't know. They've definitely carved out a legacy for themselves. <laughs> I, I will jump the line uh, and break protocol here and, and go next because uh, <gasps> mm-hmm. that night, well, actually, because I cleared my schedule, I watched five feature films that day. Amazing. Like too much. <laughs> <laughs> so many films. And by the end of the day, obviously, my brain was kind of just like fried. So I just watched another Jackass movie. <laughs> I watched Bad Grandpa from 2013. Oh. I thought it was really good and like not at all what I expected. I feel like the like consensus of that film is that it's the one bad Jackass movie. And I'll say it's not as funny as the more straightforward ones, but I laughed the entire time. It reminded me a lot of Bad Trip, which we talked about last year, and how they like try to weave in a narrative in between the stunts. And I actually thought that it did a better job of making sure every stunt mattered to the narrative than like Borat or Bad Trip. Like Bad Trip and Borat try to like use a narrative reason to like sort of sew all these stunts mm-hmm. together. This one actually was like moving a plot forward. Mm-hmm. 
And the plot itself is this like little Miss Sunshine style, like road trip. That's supposed to be like really sweet and sentimental, kind of like the new Jackass forever was kind of like sentimental. This one also has that like heart to it. And then ends on this gag involving a song we were just talking about. uh, She's my cherry pie. Uh, (laughs) And basically spoofing the end of little Miss Sunshine. So like, obviously it was on purpose to like do the jackass version of like a Sundance feel good road trip comedy. Right. I don't know. Maybe it's not as funny as people like smashing their penis as flat as they can and then using it as a ping pong paddle. But uh, (laughs) it was still very funny. And I laughed the entire time the same way I did earlier in the day when we watched the, the real jackass movie in the theater. So I don't know. If you've avoided Bad Grandpa, I think it's like surprisingly forward thinking. Also, they have it at the Red Box on Rouse's on Carrollton. I saw that <laughs> yesterday. I was like, it's, oh, Bad Grandpa. I think I it's on that. Hulu too, if I'm not mistaken. I don't think it is. I had to get is it, it through the library to watch it for free. Bad Grandpa? Yeah. It might have left recently. I don't know. Oh, maybe. That's why I watched five movies that day is though like seven of my library holds all came in at the same time. <laughs> it's like, oh shit. Wow. <laughs> I gotta so, watch get to watch it. Yeah. I had like a busy schedule. <laughs> is anybody been watching anything that's not jackass related? Because <laughs> that's like most of my thinking lately. Um I've been watching a lot of like television TV series, but I did watch the movie Bad Words. Oh Jason Bateman. Okay. So it's kinda like Bad Grandpa. Kind of. (laughs) Yeah, it's directed, produced, and stars Jason Bateman. And he plays like this super duper duper big asshole. And he finds a loophole to where he can compete in the National Spelling Bee with like a bunch of children. (laughs) And he is horrible to these children. He tries to like freak them out before it's their turn to like go and spell Mm -hmm. their word. And, like, one of the things he does is he gets a ketchup packet and makes this little girl feel like she had her period. Oh, so oh she's God. too embarrassed wow. to go really up. Bad. And he, like, torments this little Indian boy who's, like, competing with him. And then they kind of become friends with each other. But, like, once they become, like, kind of more friendly, he's like, I'm going to, like, pay this, like, prostitute to, like, show you her breasts so you can see, like, a woman's boobs for the same time. Like, it was like stuff like that Whoa. happening. It was very dark, and Catherine Hahn's in it, and oh, she I love like Catherine she Hahn. has one of those. Uh, I can't think of who had a moment like this in a movie where like they're having sex, and she's like, "Don't look at me, don't look at me." <laughs> <laughs> there's another movie that does it, and it's so funny, and it reminded me of it. But yeah, and there's a slightly like sweetish ending, I guess, where you kind of fi- find out why he's doing this like spelling bee. And wants to, like, win it and, like, just, like, make it look like a piece of shit in front of, like, the country. But other than that, it was, like, it was kind of, like, hard to watch because it's so horrible. But it kind of, like, was horrible in, like, this jackassy South Park way where it was super offensive. (laughs) But you just couldn't stop watching it. So, yeah. Mm. Bad words. That that kind of reminds me. I recently rewatched that Cameron Diaz movie. Bad I think it's teacher. called Bad Teacher. Is that like a brand? Because they have like Bad Moms right? and Bad yeah. Santa. And- but I I think I do like bad words. I find it funny <laughs> when adults treat kids like shit. <laughs> I think that it, I like if you it's done the right way, movie. like it can be pretty hilarious. And Bad Teacher is like a lot of fun. Yeah, and that's kind of what that reminds teacher. me of. And, oh, I think you'd like yeah, it. Yeah, Cameron Diaz is wonderful. Yeah, I She's like her so a lot. Good. So James and I both saw Parallel Mothers, which is the new Pedro Almodovar movie starring Penelope Cruz and Milena Smith. Mm. And I really, really liked it. 
I think James was a little cooler on it. A little cooler. Yeah. But I, I still enjoyed it. Yeah. So Penelope Cruz is this woman who is trying to petition this, like a nonprofit organization that will dig up old unmarked graves from the Spanish Civil War. Like basically when Franco would send people in and like disappear them. She is, so she's asking this archaeologist to help petition with her to get this unmarked grave in her hometown dug up so she and her family and other members of the town can have closure. She ends up having sex with the archaeologist and then she gets pregnant. She meets a young woman in the hospital who is also pregnant. And some wonderful melodrama unfolds from that point. So it's definitely in the vein of his like later career movies. So it's not, it doesn't have that like same punk energy that he had during the Madrilinian movement. One thing that bothered James maybe is like it's taking that melodrama and then also with equal weight looking at this like horrific genocide basically. So it's trying to... It's very political. Yeah, it's extremely political. But I just like cried like a baby the whole time. I, I thought it was great. I loved the melodrama yeah. stuff in the middle. It, I, I mean, I think honestly, the issue with me is like I've seen a good chunk of his movies, and when they're good, like they're so freaking like I couldn't help but compare it to other movies I've seen from him, and like it wasn't my favorite. Yeah, you know, and it's just by any other director, it would be great on its own. But compared to like the highs that he's reached in some of his other earlier films, but it was it was very good. Yeah, all about my mother seems like a weird kind of like the center of the um, seesaw. Yeah, like, right. Uh, right, right, right. It is. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like this tipping point where um, the earlier films are so colorful and splashy and like aggressive, and then the later films all have this like winding plotting to them, where it's like, how did we get here to this like ridiculous like far yeah. out um, tangling of all these different lives? Yeah. That one feels like it does both really well. Right. But yeah, when I watch these later ones, um, I, I haven't seen this one yet, but like, it's like I kind of just miss the colors of like yeah. the earlier films and like just sort of the vibrant energy. But he's an old man. Like, I don't, right. I don't know why I'm like yeah. asking for him to make these like young, in your face, aggressive films. I think the problem just might be I haven't seen enough of the early ones. Right. Like, I'm not sated yet. Yeah. You want more. Yeah. 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 I mean, I think that there are some really interesting, like, character choices and conflicts like Penelope Cruz is put I I really don't want to talk about what happens um, but she's put in like an extremely difficult situation when it comes to like her relationship with this woman that she met in the hospital and her child it's super interesting so yeah I would recommend it but I like all of his movies well today I think we're going closer to the Pedro Almodovar end of this with some melodrama um, this was Britney's choice of selections. Uh-huh. I was originally going to call this femme fatales, but like that I was reading really up that term. Fit. Yeah. And like, it doesn't just mean like fatal woman. It means like a woman who brings like disaster into like men's lives. We're not talking about that. We're talking about fatal fucking women. Like yeah. lady killers, women who kill. Like, yes. I think initially whenever I was trying to think of like a theme, like I knew the movie I wanted to watch and I'm like, hmm. And I was like, late, women who kill? Yeah. <laughs> so I think it's just they, women who they kill. Killin'. Just murderous fucking, like, uh, ending people's lives. <laughs> right. <laughs> I think we can go, like, we could take this and funnel it even further for the future. I was like, oh, my God, we can do, like, a moms who kill. Right. Or, like, married women who kill, unmarried women who kill, um, grandmas who kill. <laughs> I think that is an interesting nuts. discussion 
that I'm sure we'll come back to, but the idea of what is like a femme fatale. Yeah. And yeah. I think each of these movies, like some of them are femme fatale. Some are not. I'd say half yeah. are. Half, half yeah. are, yeah. half are. But yeah. like they come at it in different ways. And I think that's an interesting. Yeah. Well, I'll just say up front, um, this topic fucking rules. Yeah. Every yeah. one of these movies All are these so, movies good. so good. <laughs> I was so happy with like every single yeah. one. Oh, good. Thank you, Brittany. They were all great. Some great choices. Yeah, I'm glad that I get to like bring this in. And Hell hopefully yeah. we can just keep riding this wave. <laughs> yeah. And all that's coming up to you right, right now. The starring roles of Gene Tierney long ago revealed her as an incomparable dramatic artist. But in the part of Ellen in Lever to Heaven, she gives one of the truly great dramatic performances of our time. On the devastatingly beautiful Ellen, it was said, she would cheat, lie, deceive, Stop at nothing to make the man she loved her exclusive possession. All right. So for our women who love to kill episode, I what I had in my mind when I was kind of coming up with what this episode would be, it was the movie Leave Her to Heaven, which I, for some reason, confused with all that heaven allows all the time because they're like kind of melodramas and heavens in the title. Yeah. But this is very different than the other. So Leave Her to Heaven is a film from 1945 and it's directed by John Stahl. So he's done, this was kind of like later in his career prior to this, like some of his big film, a lot of them were like in the 30s and a lot of them were remade by Douglas Sirk later on. So like Imitation of Life and another big one that John Stahl did that I like is Backstreet. Oh yeah. Another, I have seen that one. It's a good one. It's a good one. This movie is so gorgeous. It is mm, this really, yeah. really beautiful film. It's vibrant. Like all of the settings are just like breathtaking, but it has this super dark plot that contrasts to like this beautiful setting and it creates this very bizarre mood that like I can't describe any other movie actually doing. It looks like a Douglas Sirk movie. It's got that yeah. like yeah. Technicolor old Hollywood like it, vibrancy. Yeah, on its surface and then... The heart of it is like some Freudian nightmare. (laughs) Definitely. So this film stars Ellen, played by Jean Tierney. Fucking gorgeous, Mm -hmm. by the way. So stunning. So Ellen is on a train, and it's this... Even the train setting is super pretty. There's like this cool like emerald green background. The, the Technicolor mm-hmm. is gorgeous. So oh, yeah, we all watched this on Criterion Blu-ray too. So like oh, the yeah. restoration is like oh, eye searing. Delicious. Like, it's really good. Yeah. So she is on this train and she meets a young author named Richard. And they kind of start eyeing each other. And <laughs> she's she approaches him with the good old hey, you look like my dad when he was younger thing. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. it's super creepy. But he's totally into it. And she's like, you know, well, that's why I've been staring at you because you look just like my father. And he goes up to her and is saying, hey, you're hot. That's why I've been staring at you. (laughs) You don't look like my mom. (laughs) Right. (laughs) I'm like, if he says, hey, you look like my mom. (laughs) Get these people off the train immediately. (laughs) Well... (laughs) They're on a train to New Mexico for different reasons. And it just so happens they're staying at the same fancy schmancy New Mexico resort. She is there because her her hot dad has died and she is spreading his ashes. Um, and she meets her mother and her sister cousin, which is her cousin who got adopted by her mother and is more like a sister figure, Ruth. And he is there pretty much just to kind of work on his novel and have a vacation. Well, 
They start to have like this little whirlwind romance while they're at the resort together. And there's like little, we get these little dropped hints early on that like, something is up with her the family is not stoked when she sees that she latches on to him but it's yeah. not like oh he's bad for her it's like they feel pity for him that he's oh, getting like they sucked make, into her orbit <laughs> like these little comments like ellen always wins <laughs> or well that's just ellen <laughs> nothing uh, ever happens to ellen right. exactly <laughs> and there's <You're> fucked, though. <laughs> there's this scene that I, don't, I found to be so funny is she there are these two kids in this pool <laughs> And she's like, I'll race you and I'll, you know, we'll go back and forth. And any adult would have like let a kid right. win. And she was like, fuck no, I'm going <laughs> to beat both these kids. And she she wins and then says, hey, I won. <laughs> um, but Richard still doesn't seem to pick up on <laughs> anything being wrong with Ellen. Well, while they're kind of having this flirty hot time together at the resort, her fiance or ex-fiance shows up and it's played by Vincent Price, a young, still creepy Vincent Price. And when he arrives to, I guess, talk with her, she tells him, well, I'm engaged to Richard and makes up this engagement that turns into a real engagement and they get married. (laughs) So she's... Well, before I kind of continue, she's got a very, very like, I don't want to use the word controlling. She just kind of has like ownership over her decisions and her life. She's domineering. She's very bold. Yeah. 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 So they get married. And then after they're married, they go to Maine where Richard has a lake house and his brother, who is like crippled by polio, is there as well. Danny. Danny. Poor Danny. <laughs> well, she starts kind of making little hints. Like she has this this conversation with Danny when she gets there. Like, oh, do you like school? Do you like boarding school? And he's like, I love boarding school. And her eyes kind of like light up a little bit. And I'm like, oh, she does not want Danny here. Not that he is a pest. He's essentially a kid and he loves his older brother, Richard. So there are like moments where they kind of get a little on the romantic mm-hmm. side. And then Danny's like, hey, guys, y'all want to go swimming? <laughs> it kind of ruins the mood and she fucking hates it. Yeah. So Danny's kind of learning to walk again. So she brings him out in a boat. And this is like one of the most iconic movie scenes of all time. Chilling and super, super stylish. She's got this <laughs> massive coat on where... Ev- She's got this big coat on, but he's swimming. So I'm like, what is the weather truly like? <laughs> right. Um, and she has these like big old white sunglasses and her hair is done. She's got her like beautiful red lipstick on and this like stone cold bitch face as she's rowing out into like the middle of the lake. And then Danny starts swimming. And the whole thing is you're going to swim and then we're going to surprise your brother with how well you swim. So she keeps kind of pushing him like, yeah, go a little further, go a little further. Yeah. And then he catches a cramp and he's screaming for help. And she just stares without moving mm-hmm. or breathing or anything. And he dies while she watches. Of course, until her husband like is coming up the trail and notices that Danny's like not in the boat. And then she pulls this whole yeah. act and is like, oh, no, Danny, let me save you. Well, that scene just really shows so well how like talented Jean Tyranny is because she did not say anything. And she does this multiple times throughout the movie. Doesn't say anything, doesn't move, but she says a million things right. with the way that her face is and her body language. And it's so good. Yeah. So I've seen this movie a couple of times before, but this time around, 
I always thought that like when the big boat scene happens that she in that moment was like, wow, I should just let him die. Right. (laughs) But after I watched it before this happens, she has this, oh my God, I had a dream moment where she's like, you know, Danny uh, was in the lake and died. (laughs) And I'm like, oh, this was totally like premeditated. So that's like the first big kill, a kill where she doesn't have to get her hands dirty because she's too fancy. And then later on, she gets pregnant. And as she's pregnant, there are comments she makes where she doesn't like the way her body looks and feels and things like that. But she does not want anything to come in between her and her husband. Period. So she didn't like Danny. Danny's gone. Now she's having a baby. Well, there's a chance that her husband might like this baby more than her. Not really, but like we'll pay attention to the baby more than like he's paying attention to her now. And I think she realizes that. And then she wears this fabulous gown and heels to induce um, a miscarriage. And she trips herself down the stairs on purpose. And she has that moment again where right before where she shoves her foot under the rug with her like little like heels. She has that like stone cold face all over again. And yeah, so she kind of throws herself down the stairs and loses the baby. She is a very tragic character, even though like... She is horrible, but like this woman will never ever be satisfied ever. Like just the fact that anyone that like in her mind, like there's all this stuff happening that really isn't. And she's going to see anyone that speaks to Richard as some kind of competition with her. And then she's going to eliminate them. That's kind of the, the big theme and the ending of this, which I guess it's okay for us to talk about, right? This movie's like, half a century plus some old (laughs) okay (laughs) spoilers a big spoiler um in theaters so she starts to see that ruth her sister her cousin sister is having like a better bond with her husband richard and she even makes this comment where she's like i think you know he likes you like i don't think he likes me i think he just loves me she tells that to ruth well ruth and her have this huge argument and Ruth just lashes out on her and is like, you are selfish, like making it obvious that she knows that Ellen has purposefully killed Danny and the baby. And then Richard is listening. And then Richard talks to Ellen and Ellen just confesses everything. And then he leaves. (laughs) And then Ellen kills herself by lacing some sugar with arsenic. And she kills herself in a way to frame Ruth. So that's how like nutter butter she is it's a pretty like incredible move if you think about the history of like what people are allowed to do in movies like in this like haze code era mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. the killer has to be punished by dying like she has to die and then even in like the erotic thriller era that we're gonna talk about later like usually the yeah. women killers are punished for their sins she takes that into her own hands and uses her death to like get one more stinger in there to like frame this like sister (laughs) cousin uh, for her own murder, which I think is pretty incredible for the time. There was definitely some like gone girl going on. (laughs) So gone girl. Yeah. The way I kept thinking about the movie is like, she's a modern woman stuck in like the 1940s Hayes code era in the sense of like, she really just wants to like, hang out and fuck her husband and not have people like get in her shit and doesn't want to have a baby. baby. But she plays into it too, but she does it in a controlling way where she's like, I will make all of your meals. 
and right. I will she's do this. She's definitely not I will like a likable person. Right. See, I think that like I want to do everything for you is not modern. It's like she is very dedicated to this like idea in sh- her head about like how marriage is this like total dedication to that other person's yeah. comfort. And like her major sin in this film is that she wants to be too good of a housewife. Like she cannot stand the thought of anyone else doing her housewife but duties. For is this it? Life. I don't know. I but it's really selfish it reasons. Way. Like I thought that she wants that because she's like, I want to fucking control yeah, everything. Yeah, I think it's more like yeah. she is possessive. She's like really possessive. It's right. not like she wants to be the best housewife. I think really all she wants is like, leave me and my husband alone. I want to be alone <laughs> yeah. and like have sex with my husband and that's it. But that's a classic like myth about romance is that like once you are linked up with someone, you are that person's right. everything and that you are supposed to fulfill every niche in their life. She cannot stand him being happy in the presence of anyone else. Like right. she wants to provide everything for him, which is like the lie about monogamous relationships that you can be everything to someone. I mean, she doesn't even want him to have a relationship with writing. Like right. she's like, yeah. stop writing i will support you financially for the rest of your life so it's i feel like it's a mix of those two things like i will cook for you i will clean for you i will be your housewife but also i don't want to have a baby i don't want you to work i want me to be everything to you yeah which is like very i don't know i could see all of the worst impulses of jealousy <laughs> and obs- it was like so painful yeah. to watch this yeah it's kind of relatable in a fucked up way yeah sometimes. for sure like, i'm like oh god I don't know, you get scared like when your partner does things that have nothing to do with you sometimes right like and then like he dedicates his <laughs> novels to but it's it's healthy like yeah. you need them to have right. a, yeah. a life outside sure. of the house yeah <laughs> to be not richard person. though yeah yeah like when she opened the dedication of the book and it was like the girl with the hoe which is ruth, ruth. i was like what it wasn't right. I, I found myself <laughs> really, I, right. I found myself sympath- like same thing when they go to the lake house or whatever and danny's in the other room and the walls are right. like Cardboard and she has that like lingerie dress. Her like breasts are in his face. Right. She's like, let's in there. Yeah. Meanwhile, his beautiful brother is talking through the walls (laughs) to them. Like, dude, give him some space. Like, I understand her frustration, especially like I just married this man. Right. We're on our honeymoon. Like, I want to spend time. All she had to do was like use her words and say, "Communicate." (laughs) Not not okay. Like. I just, <laughs> this woman like doesn't know how to set boundaries without like yeah. ruining someone. I also think what you said earlier them. is that like she'll never be satisfied. Like, even if they were True. alone in that cabin, she'd still like, yeah. basically she wants to like eat his flesh. <laughs> it's yeah, like the level exact, of like, yeah. I need you to like be a part of me yeah. kind of I wonder, consumption. They, they kind of throw a couple of hints to like how the relationship was with her dad. But I'm like, was she like that with her yes, father? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. why they adopted the cousin as like her sister, because she provided no time to her mother of either her presence or her father's yeah. presence. Yeah. And that's sick. That scene where <laughs> so she's weird. spreading her father's ashes on the horse is Just so galloping. So fucking cool. <laughs> she's got the face again, the stone cold face yeah. where she's but I, I don't know what it's called. I guess it's like the opposite of like a Oedipus complex. Yeah, the electric complex. Electric com- but ah. she totally is like in love with her yeah. dad. And then, yeah, when she sees this guy that looks like her dad is just drawn to him. I, I struggled a little bit with that like 
New Mexico opening the first time I watched this because it's so long. Mm-hmm. And like, I just didn't know where the movie was going. No, but it's I so liked gritty. that part of it. Yeah. I, I liked that I didn't actually know where the story was going. Like, that was pretty enthralling. I appreciated the more the second watch. Because the first watch, I thought, like, this was a very inert melodrama. And, like, it is pretty, but they do a lot of day-for-night shooting, and it's, like, really unconvincing in that early stretch, um, and in a way that, like, kind of mutes the, like, Technicolor stuff that I really liked about it. But, like, that was, like, my only real thing that, like, kept me from, like, fully loving everything that was going on. See, for me, it was actually the ending that brought it down. because oh, like the courtroom drama? The courtroom shit, like, it was, like, a 20-minute courtroom thing it like, was vincent fun, price though. being extremely loud i don't know i could have done without okay. that like i hate that was like a trend back then like the courtroom ending mm. you know you got to have justice and like yeah i just thought it was kind of lame also way that to is in the movie a huge conflict of interest for the district oh, yes. Yes. <laughs> to be like formerly engaged which we'll come to in another film we'll talk about like that's not how the criminal justice system should work right and he like sends the guy to jail for years just for like fucking with him like obviously this guy's just like innocent in general and like uh he like pursued this like yeah you're an accessory to your brother's murder come on (laughs) yeah (laughs) send him to jail for no reason just because he's petty yeah it's like the whole movie was so delicious and then she kills herself and then okay it's a 20 minute courtroom thing that that's what kind of brought it I did like it as a little bit of a case for Vincent Price. Like, well, yeah, Vincent he's a Price strange man. Like, he like yeah. started off as this like just sort of tall, handsome, leading man that didn't really go anywhere. And then like <laughs> later in his career, he became like the creep. That Is we he all that like. handsome? I think at the time he was kind of like was portrayed can- as like just a heartthrob. Yeah, at, during this time. Yeah. Okay. I don't think he's handsome at all. <laughs> well, that's probably why that didn't work yeah, as well as you're playing looking. like a creep. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> weird looking dude, man. Also, like him not having any facial hair oh, kind of threw me it off. Was a super bit. uncomfy yeah. to like see him look like that. But I did like the drama of the courtroom case, like when Ruth passed out. I thought that was oh, really yeah. great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just yeah. liked how proactive the killer was. Still, like even even in death, she was still manipulating everyone and like getting what she wanted. What a badass! Uh, <laughs> yeah, mm, I goals. love Ellen. <laughs> I want to love her. I, I, I feel like she represents the worst impulses in my brain. Yeah, right. exactly. I was like, I was so uncomfortable. I was like, this is who I would be if I was like myself magnified in the worst right. ways. Like, I don't like this at all. I find myself, uh, I'm not friends with this person anymore, but I had a, a really good friend that was literally an Ellen. Like, if you talk to her boyfriend, she would slash her tires. Oh, boy. Yeah. Shit. And I'm like, oh, look how funny. And then I'm like, no. <laughs> and then I'm like, no, this is getting aggressive. <laughs> Very bad. Right, right. Yeah. I loved the... So I didn't know anything about this movie going in, except for a woman would kill someone. Right. Yeah. So like, I didn't know... I was like, are all three of these women in on a murder? Like, did they murder the dad? And when she was like parading the ashes around, I was like, is this some kind of like weird... Or like, and then she kept talking about her fiance. And I was like, did they all kill her fiance? Like, what's good? So I just had like, all those mysteries were carrying me through um, the first part. But I thought this was fantastic as it was. It's kind of like the idea of three women covering up the murder of a father. Right. I did have that suspicion, too, that she had murdered her father. Maybe. Yeah. I mean, we'll never know. That's true. They never really say. It's kind of interesting that like, she's the least 
active of the killers we'll talk about today. Like, she's not going to stab anybody right. or shoot them or yeah. anything. But, like, she's also one of the most vicious. Like, yeah, she kills children. She's the scariest, <laughs> right. I think, because she doesn't kill for revenge. She doesn't kill for, like, financial gain. She just kills out of, like, this jealousy that makes no sense. Well, yeah, that, that goes to what I was going to talk about with the femme fatale thing. I think the definition of it is like you kill for financial gain yeah. or manipulate. But like she's not a femme fatale in this. It's just out of pure See, what emotion. I read about femme fatale is like. Killing for attention. It's like the wrong woman to fall in love with. Like by, by like bringing this woman into your life, you're bringing death and destruction onto yourself. Which in that case, she is fulfilling that. Like she was the wrong person it's like the word fatale doesn't translate as fatal. It's like disastrous. Mm-hmm. But I, I thought and she meant, is like a disastrous romantic yeah, partner. Like in the traditional it. sense of like a noir, it's like she has worked her way into your life to get something out right. of you, whether it's financially or, well, but in, the, in this situation, I don't think it really applies. She wants well, all of your she time. She wants his attention. She just wants your time. Yeah. <laughs> but she's she coming did. from like a pure place of just like, I want love. But, like, she wants love in the way that other femme fatales want money and revenge. Yeah. Like, it's True. that same, like, over-the-top level of yeah. needing him. And she does, like, weasel her way into his world and manipulates everything around him so she can get everything she wants with him. It's so. just as selfish. Yeah. 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 It's just not as monetary. Yeah. Exactly. That's why it's spooky. <laughs> I really liked this movie a lot the yeah. times I watched it. Honestly, the restoration is like almost too good. Like I could see actors' makeup. Um, it like, is so especially good. Especially in that opening train sequence. I, I love the setting of it. Like mm-hmm. the, New just the shots of the desert. It was just beautiful to All look those, at. All those like matte paintings and like fake backdrops uh-huh. and stuff. Uh, like Ooh, really artificial. Lake. Yeah. Like all the, the waves and things like that while they're. And gorgeous. Yeah. yeah. Oh, beautiful outfits. Her like mm-hmm. there's this her writing outfit when she was spreading the ashes. She has this like pale pink sweater <laughs> and then these like big poofy red riding pants and then like hot. a tweed jacket. She's so hot. And everything is monogrammed. Right. <laughs> All of her clothes. There is this, amazing. There uh, it's like a green quilted robe with like these yes. kimono sleeves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and then those little like fasteners with yes, the little bobbles. That's probably my fave. That and the <sighs> the unnecessary white coat. Weirdly, this is not available on the Criterion channel right now. Like, really? if you want to watch it, I think the only avenue is to watch a rip that's on YouTube or okay. to buy the disc. And I think, I don't know, for those like Barnes & Noble 50% off sales, like yeah. you're looking for titles to add it's to your shopping cart. It. This it is, is worth it. Yeah. It's great. Could you tell us the nature of your relationship with Mr. Boz? He gave me a lot of pleasure. You ever uh, engage in any sadomasochistic activity? Exactly what did you have in mind, Mr. Corelli? Did you kill Mr. Boz, Mr. Amell? I'd have to be pretty stupid to write a book about killing and then kill somebody the way I described it in my book. I'd be announcing myself as the killer. Okay, so my pick was Lady Snowblood, which is a Japanese film released in 1973, directed by Toshio Fujita. It is about a woman named Yuki, who um, her mother was... So 
there are these four like scammer uh, tax fraud or uh, draft fraud money grubbers who killed um, her mother's family and raped her mother for three days. Um, her mother killed one of them and was sent to jail. While she was in jail, she had sex with every single man that she could find to have a baby um, to pass along her like vengeful wish to eliminate the last three people responsible for this horrible crime. So they, um, she gave birth to Yuki, who is an Asura, which is a um, vengeful demigod in uh, Buddhist um, philosophy. And she's just a straight up killer who will stop at nothing to murder these three people. Um, she wears very beautiful kimonos. Um, she has a very pretty umbrella. And in her umbrella, she hides a katana that she just like slices the shit out of people with. Um, this movie was a big inspiration for Quentin Tarantino and his Kill Bill. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He made apparently lot. he made the cast and crew watch Lady Snowblood on set for Kill Bill. So yeah, it's like very very clear. He if visually you've seen quotes both. it like so often. Like, yeah. It honestly made me like Kill Bill slightly less because that was my right. favorite Tarantino movie going mm-hmm. into this. And then watching, I was like, what did he bring to the table? Right, like, yeah. <laughs> this is the better version. Oh, 100%. Yeah, this, yeah the spraying of the blood is oh a my big God. one. Like, oh, the wild. pressurized veins were just, just like geysers like spew out. Love it. Yeah. Um, this So this movie is just a straight up revenge thriller. The the four movies that we have like all kind of vary in the level of activity in the murdering and Lady Snowblood is definitely the most active. She's just stabbing people left and right. <laughs> definitely the highest body count of any of these lady oh, yeah. killers. Yeah, for sure. And she kills people so quickly. She just like slashes through them. Um, but basically the film watches her as she like progresses to these last three people on her kill list. Um, this is an absolutely beautiful film. It uh, has these like really vibrant reds and purples. Um, There's a lot of like blood in the snow. So like stark white and bright red. Um, And I just thought, I thought this was a super satisfying um, lady killer movie. Dude, when it, when it just started, like even from the first scene, I was like, damn, this is badass. Yeah. And it pretty much just carried through the whole way. And then, you know, she ends up executing an entire police force. And then there's a great climax. And I'm just like, it's blood and it looks beautiful. And it's just badass. This is just a badass movie. I was movie, just like, dude. is this the coolest movie ever made? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I totally see how like Quentin Tarantino's like a film nerd could see this and be like, yeah, I just want to redo that. Right. It's like, you I know. mean, that's kind of what he does. He like remixes genre films that already exist. Mm-hmm. Usually I can tell what he's bringing to the table, like how he mixes different stuff or like shows a different angle. But like he visually quotes this movie so hard, yeah. That it's like I don't know what you added to this. Like it was already kind of perfect, and I'm not sure what yeah. you like. I think it's more like a lot of people hadn't seen it, so yeah. it was just like I'm gonna bring it to American audiences. And I guess he brought in that Bruce Lee jumpsuit that uh, Uma Thurman wears towards the end. But other than that, like actually <laughs> not much. I was like <laughs> yeah. mixing in here. Yeah, I loved like watching her like turn into like the Lady Snowblood Ugh. after she has like her short training with yeah. priests. He, yeah, like that, he like puts down her in a, a barrel. barrel. Oh my God. <laughs> with her that in her like so ponytail funny. just right. like <laughs> that was awesome. 
Um, I like how the movie didn't focus on that, though. I feel like a lot of times, like, when there's, like, this karate kid moment in a movie where they focus on, like, the training up, training up, training Mm -hmm. up, that's, like, it was just enough. Like, it didn't take over half the movie. It was just kind of like, all right, she's good. Like, let her go and start killing people. Um, I love that. The pace of this movie is so good. Yeah. That helps with the sexual assault stuff, too, like... I don't like that I spit on your grave kind of like yeah. right, revenge stuff. But yeah. in this case, it's harsh enough for you to feel the, like the trauma of what mm-hmm. happened and then also quick enough so that it's not dwelling on yeah. that. It's more dwelling on like the retribution, which is And awesome. I also yeah. feel like I don't think Kill Bill had any sort of like political subtext, but this is like a political film. And like it does like kind of attack like Japanese rape culture and also, like, Japanese, like, imperialism. I mean, the villain is killed at the end, like, falls on, like, the Japanese and American flag. So there's, like, stuff going on under the surface, too, that's mm-hmm. interesting. But, yeah, at the end of the day, it's just, like, a really beautiful, badass revenge tale. I yeah. mean, it's just so cool. Yeah, the last scene takes place in this. It's kind of like this den for um, Japanese and uh, European and American officials to like they get dressed up in these like very European like Victorian it's like a masquerade almost. ball yeah yeah like very uh, like fluffy beautiful dresses um, which I like I feel like I haven't seen anything like that in a Japanese film um, and but it was like this like wildly elegant party and I just I don't know enough about Japanese politics mm-hmm. to like understand the intricacies of what was trying to be communicated but i thought it was like a, i mean they obviously had something to say about like the westernization of japan they they explicitly say it in the film the guy the main villain talks about how he's an arms dealer right now like to become a powerful westernized country you have to build up your military which is a like that is what japan did like going into world war ii so the film seemed like very critical of that like okay we want to be on the same level as western powers so what does that mean like having a big military industrial complex and the film was like kind of saying that's bullshit so i don't know i i like that it had that going on while also just being super cool to look at you know i mean that's really what stuck with me is just like the low budget high style Mm -hmm. like contrast which i feel like is something we're always looking for here i I can't shake that scene where the that woman hung herself and then she just comes and then that scene ends with this like hand-stitched curtain dropping in front of it and that's the transition beautiful and i'm that's like very late in the movie when she cuts that lady in half and the waterfall of blood happens and then the curtain drops as the scene transition i'm like this movie's like three quarters of the way over and it's still showing me shit I feel like I've never seen before. Yeah. Like it's yeah. still surprising me yeah. every couple of frames. It also has this like very funny subplot where she meets an author or like he's like he writes a newspaper yeah. and then he also writes books and her trainer leaks the story of her to this author. And so he starts writing like her story. And then she comes to her trainer and she's like, why did you tell him? Like, you told him about me, didn't you? And he said, yes. So he, we can't find this, like, it was like the second to last 
person, the woman, he's like, we can't find her. So we're going to like release your story and it's going to become <laughs> a viral hit. And then it's going to like draw her, which is like the most like obtuse, like compli- convoluted <laughs> plan. And then it does work. I just thought it was extremely funny. There's a lot of like tiny little hints of humor in this movie like that. And mm-hmm. then also like when her mom's like giving birth to her they're like oh we just thought you were a nymphomaniac and and she's like no i was like screwing these dudes to like have a kid to go and kill the other dudes for me duh (laughs) you know it it, like there's like little drops like that that were so fun i had some questions about like the origins of this i don't know if anybody read on the history of it particularly i I did not to my shame i didn't either I wonder if it started as like a manga or like it did. Some kind it, of did. Yeah. it did. Okay, I did read a little oh, bit wow. that it. Yeah, it's so graphic that that makes sense. Right. Like uh, every scene has this like very posed composition to it on these like closed sets. So like, like uh, there's these scenes where she kills people and like basically the backdrop is just this black void, maybe with some like harshly lit mm-hmm. snow falling in the background. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, like, it looks like a comic book. Yeah, and then they have like. Straight up illustrations, yeah. too, interspersed do, throughout. Yeah. yeah, that reminded me of like Haosu or um, Godzilla versus Hedera, like mm-hmm. um, sort of this multimedia approach where you add like illustrations or slideshows in the middle of it. But also, like, the idea that this character is someone who has legends about her in the press and like she's kind of like the people's champion, <laughs> like right. out there, like slaughtering people for an unofficial version of justice. Um, it makes sense that a manga existed first because yeah. it feels like this, like legend like that exists in the people's minds already it just hadn't mm-hmm. made it to the screen yet as i was watching when that subplot developed that you're talking about with the writer i was like oh why is this guy getting involved like and then i kind of was like i don't like this like why did this whole <laughs> get him out of here get him out of here but then like it actually surprised me at the end like he you know there's this kind of big reveal about his true identity and how he relates to the main villain i was like oh well, that makes sense. Like, I'm back on board with this narrative. I I was just fearful, like, oh, they have to have a love interest and a guy that's going to save her. And yeah. it did not end up being that, yeah. thankfully. He would have loved that, though. But, yes, he, <laughs> he was would, angling he would, for that. It didn't he happen. was. Yeah. I don't know. This movie's just so fucking cool. Yeah, it's great. I feel like I have the most surface level reading of this where I'm just like, wow, that looks <laughs> that, awesome. No, that, that was my reaction watching. I was like, damn. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and in the beginning, too, like, to mention Tarantino one more time, it's like the way the narrative in the beginning jumps between different times. Like I thought that was really cool. And like for a movie that, but this came out in like the early seventies yeah. felt like pretty fresh and innovative. Like that was jumping between the present and the past. And they were kind of blending different timelines. I, I thought that was very cool <laughs> with this, too. With the seventies um, soundtrack. Yeah, the soundtrack is so cool, too. There is a sequel to this. Yeah, there is. I want to see it. That doesn't make sense. No, it doesn't. (laughs) Oh, I think it does. I almost thought, like... I thought she died at the end. Oh, I don't think she died. No, well, no, she, like... You thought she died, and then she comes Oh, that's right. Yeah, Yeah, and she... I guess in the second movie, I'm like, maybe she goes against the other girl who's avenging her father. Well, I guess because I knew it, it influenced Kill Bill. I was like... She's um, not going to actually get to murder the main guy until the second movie, but that's not really right. the case. So I'm interested on how the sequel yeah. plays out. Yeah. Yeah. Especially, I mean, she is, 
an Asura, so her entire being is dedicated to this like vengeful quest. So um, yeah, I don't know what she has left to avenge, but maybe she's <laughs> just going to avenge th- on behalf of the people now. That's what I'm thinking. Well, that's why I liked at the end when one of the men she kills, like his daughter, mm-hmm. ends up stabbing her. And I was like, oh, wait, is she going to be right. in the sequel? Like, you know, vengeance, just kind of the yeah. cycle kind of repeats itself. That and wild. Um, that's where I thought it was going. But we got to find like you out. Get the gist of that theme like pretty quickly without having to like explore it any further. Like, uh, well, I just so right. I just wonder what the sequel. She had like kind of a mentor or at least like a uh, merciful approach to that character. And then it like. The character has no choice but to stab her for the same reason she has no choice but to slit all those other throats. Yeah. So, like, I don't know. I feel like he got it pretty quickly. But, yeah, I would watch the sequel just because it looked cool. And I'd like look at those images <laughs> I for longer. want to see more, yeah. more of those things. Just something about blood in the snow oh, just looks cool. So yeah. good. I will say that, like, temporal scrambling doesn't work for me as well as it did when I was, like, 15 and watched Pulp Fiction for the first time. Like, watching events out of order, I feel like actually fucks with pacing a little bit. And like, if I was going to say anything halfway negative about this film, it's mm-hmm. like, it does kind of drag a little towards the middle because you don't have like a sense of the propulsion of where this is going. So it's a movie that's like under a hundred minutes, but I still felt like it, I could feel every minute <laughs> towards the end. I was like, this is still going. Okay. Like, but we're not, still not at it. the very end, like the climax. In the middle somewhere. Yeah. 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 In the middle. Cause there's that stretch, you know, where she finds out that one of the people she's trying to kill is already dead. And there is kind of a lull. Introspective, right. like, kind of like yeah. lull time. I love when she, like, just slashes up the flowers at his grave. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He's just like, I got to kill something. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. It was kind of like lost some momentum. And then I think once she gets to the uh, the woman that she's going to kill, it, like, speeds back Yeah, up. the last, like, half hour is propelled all the way through to the end. I, don't I was know. just shocked that the last half hour was still surprising me, like, visually, at least, like... But yeah, there's something about that scrambled timeline thing that's interesting in like a postmodern way. But like practically, I don't know if it actually benefits a movie's pacing to but like. I, I just do remember that. like in high school, like the first time I saw Memento, I was like, "Oh my god!" This right, blew my mind. It's totally out of order. Like, <laughs> whoa, they whoa. Really fucked it up. <laughs> and I, I don't know. Like that's it's still a good movie, and like Pulp Fiction obviously was kind of groundbreaking in that yeah regard, but. A good story is a good story. You know what I mean? And even apart from, I mean, all of the gore was beautiful. Um, mm-hmm. But they're even like, so the daughter of one of the men Yuki is trying to murder is she's a prostitute, but she tells her father that she sells these bamboo wives. Um, so she, and she's weaving these beautiful, like they're huge. Basically, they're like meant to, they're like bolsters. They're meant to like give you back support. I want one. Yeah. And (laughs) just watching the weaving was beautiful. But so she tells her father that she's selling these bamboo wives and that's how she's getting money for him. He has like a gambling problem and he's an alcoholic. And then Yuki sees this woman, like she goes to this cliff and then she's just tossing all of these bamboo wives into the sea. And I just thought like even that simple image was really beautiful and so sad that's um, one of just, my favorite parts yeah, yeah just movie, him like yeah. floating in the ocean right. was beautiful yeah so this is just a gorgeous movie yeah 
So whenever she threw those in the ocean at first, I was like, "Oh, is that meant to like catch like fish? Because she's how is she gonna go get them?" It out? does look right. like a crab trap or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's definitely. what it was. And then I was like, "Oh, she's getting rid of it." Yeah. <laughs> well, speaking of things that um, we could or should or did watch in high school, um, <laughs> I picked a movie I don't know if I've seen before. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I picked it um, because it seemed obvious that I would love it, and I did. But I don't know if I've seen this film before. It was Basic Instinct from 1992. Mm. I watch a lot of erotic thrillers just in my downtime because I love the genre. It seems somewhat impossible that I've not seen this film before. And watching it for this conversation, a lot of it felt very familiar. I could not tell if it was from just seeing clips of it over the years or... Uh, Brittany and I recently watched that Madonna erotic thriller, Body oh, of Evidence. Which so much like Body of Evidence. Rips off uh, Basic Instinct shamelessly, yeah. I think. And I also <laughs> think like Michael Douglas is in a lot of erotic thrillers yeah. yes. in that time period. So that could be... Like Fatal Attraction. This is like the yeah. all-star erotic thriller. Because you have <laughs> yeah, Michael Douglas, sure. who and, is the yeah. like main character in most of these. The erotic thriller king. And it was written by Joe Esteraz, <laughs> who also wrote most of... The shit. Did he also write Showgirls? Was that him? Maybe so, yeah. I think okay. so. That sounds right. Okay, there's a Showgirls moment in here I want to talk about. Well, also, it's directed by Paul Verhoeven, <laughs> Paul Verhoeven. Right. directed Showgirls. And also, I feel like dipped his toe in erotic thriller a lot. Yeah. Nice. And obviously, because it's Verhoeven, it's satire, and he is making fun of Fatal Attraction and other films like that. Yeah. Uh, through this ridiculous postmodern take on it, like, I feel like this is the closest we get back to the femme fatale. Um, thing that we're talking about with Leave Her to Heaven because erotic thrillers were playing on that like Hitchcockian thriller template. Well, and this feels so Hitchcockian because it's like set in San Francisco. Oh yeah, Sharon Stone is wearing a very similar dress to in Vertigo. Yeah, mm-hmm. and her hair is done. And her hair the same way too. Like it is a. I think it's like an homage to Hitchcock, but like subverting it and making it this postmodern if nothing else he's like drawing attention to the fact that like hitchcock tradition is already being recycled through this like 80s noir uh erotic thriller wave yes like like, hitchcock was kind of the king of the noir genre even though he didn't like do like maltese falcon or anything like that but he like was the height of it anyway Mm -hmm. um and i feel like a lot of those noir tropes were being recycled sort of like uncritically through erotic thrillers like people weren't really thinking about the politics of like reviving the femme fatale trope and like all these other things um and verhoven is politically thinking about this stuff like he's like thinking about what impulses in the audience are being peaked and played with uh so like uh earlier we were talking about in leave her to heaven how the Hayes code um requires that the woman is punished at the end for all her sins and like in fatal attraction glenn close is brutally punished yeah. for her crimes Verhoeven doesn't do that. You don't get to see Sharon Stone suffer for her wickedness in this film. If anything, the entire movie, he's just fucking with you. Yeah. (laughs) The same way that she is fucking with Michael Douglas. (laughs) Um, She plays, Sharon Stone plays a novelist. She writes kind of like true crime type, like romance novels, like (laughs) real pulpy paperback Mm -hmm. shit. Love hurts. (laughs) The Gillian Flynn of her time, I guess. Uh, And, um, Things keep happening in her life where her books are being replicated in real life. Like there are murders that are copying the kills that she describes in her books. Most recently, a rock manager, uh, like nightclub 
skis bag in San Francisco is found dead, stabbed 37 times in his bed. We watched the kill at the start of the movie mm-hmm. through the um, mirror on the ceiling, <laughs> which yeah. is so sleazy. Um, <laughs> I remember in the opening credits, there was a, a credit specifically for like special effects makeup. I'm like, what does this movie have that's like special effects? And then you watch this man get stabbed with an ice pick like 37 times <laughs> in his chest and face. You're like, okay, and, there uh, it is. Immediately. It looked real. Yeah. That's the most brutal on-screen violence you see in the film. Most of it is just Sharon Stone confidently saying, like, why would I kill someone the same way that a character dies in my book? That would be insane. Like, But that also is the perfect Right, that's the yeah. perfect Alibi cover. Yeah. 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 Um, she also tells Michael Douglas, who is investigating the murder, that um, her next book is about a police detective who falls in love with the wrong woman and gets killed <laughs> by her. <laughs> so, like, Delicious. That's yeah. where the meta layer comes in. It's like... He is falling in love with her, even though she is like very likely the killer. And she is telling him, I'm writing a book about you are my direct inspiration for this. She also has what I thought was going on, like a coterie of serial killing women. Mm -hmm. Like she makes friends with people who are supposedly just inspiration for her books. But they're like women who got away with murder. And they're just like openly friends. Michael Douglas's partner at his job, uh, his court-appointed psychologist, uh, is also his sex partner, <laughs> and um, she also might be the murderer. So we don't know if it's Sharon Stone or this like psychologist, and um, Verhoeven is fucking with you the entire time, back and forth, back and forth. The same with all erotic thrillers. There's this very combative battle of the sexes thing, like... None of the actual sex is erotic. It's actually mm-hmm. like combative. Yeah. It's filmed like fight choreography almost. Like it's not sexy. Yeah. It's just like nasty. And he plays like this hyper violent yeah. bully cop. Michael Douglas's character is an asshole. Terrifying. He's yeah. horrible. And Sharon Stone is cool as fuck. Yeah, <laughs> and like, she's so And also cool. a psychopath. <laughs> right. Yeah, but like but laid back the, and chill. Yeah. She's yeah. the fun one. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> if I had to hang out with anyone in this movie, it would have oh been God. her. The most famous scene in this film is this interrogation scene where she's like not wearing panties and like keeps crossing and uncrossing her Mm -hmm. legs. Yeah. And there's this room of like five to eight men just staring at her and she's just commanding the room so coolly. (laughs) That scene is so iconic. And recently, like I think it was maybe last year, Real Housewives of Atlanta during one of like the um, those like one one on one interviews one of the cast members like reenacted that because they were asking her about like this long story short, they had a stripper at a party (laughs) and he slept with like two of the women (laughs) at the same time. And she was, she did the whole Sharon Stone thing, like the leg moves and everything (gasps) about how like, she just like wouldn't tell and all this kind of stuff. And I'm like, God, this movie is, you know, still like relevant, like in modern times. It's crazy. Watching it again, what really took me back was like how, slick the direction is and like there's so there's a lot of scenes like you said the interrogation scene where there's multiple actors five or six characters in a room at a given time and the way that Verhoeven like moves his camera in a way and like characters are coming in and out of the scene and he's zooming in on certain characters and just that choreography of the camera in this movie I thought was like excellent and I don't th- I don't know if it gets enough credit for that, but like it's really sleek and like very well done. I never really understood what it was about that scene that captured people's imaginations. I thought it was just the fact that she flashes her like 
shaved Mons pubis area. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. And I mean, that does happen, but like, I, I feel like there's something more going on. It's mm-hmm. just the fact that she has so much power. Yeah. And she's so laid back about it. Right. And that hairdo. Yeah, like she comes in and she's waived her right to an attorney and all of these men are kind of like, like, you know, what an idiot. And she just, like, within five minutes, they're all sweating. Right. Wayne Knight. Wayne Knight. Covered in sweat. And it is like... (laughs) Kind of like a Medusa thing, too. Like, she is so powerful, and all of these men are just frozen. And then yeah. it ends, like, they're like, we're so sorry we inconvenienced you. <laughs> oh, and they're, like, putting her jacket on right. for her. And also, she- the whole time, yeah. she's only talking to Michael Douglas's character. Yeah. She keeps prefacing everything she says with Nick. Mm-hmm. She keeps bringing it back yeah. to him. It's like, none of... I, I'm not interested I'm in any other people. I'm fucking with you, specifically. Right. Yeah. yeah. I, she, my dream program, I think, if I had a movie theater, would be a well, Wayne Knight erotic thriller night. Like, <laughs> <laughs> uh, do this and like to die for, and I'm sure there's like some straight to TV thriller you could do as well. To die for that was a good one. She just looks like like a shark. Yes. and oh, this yeah. is the shark yeah. tank that she's in. Like the whole yeah. her demeanor, her you know the way she moves her body, her look, her her mm-hmm. outfit, yeah. everything, and the ways that she tempts him, like. Keeps asking him if he wants a cigarette. Mm-hmm. Like know. she know, like she's already researched him. Sassy. She knows what makes him tick, and like she's working him the whole time. Yeah, and she and to everybody, she's like, "Yeah, I'm a I'm a writer. It makes me a great liar." Like she's just <laughs> always playing with them. So I did not know that. So the same director of Showgirls directed this movie. Yeah. So there is a very very Showgirls scene, that whole dance floor moment. Best scene in the film. The aggressive dancing from her, like, her lady lover. Her on bisexual the, side piece. Was her name, like, Liz or something? Liz, Roxy? Roxy. Roxy, yeah. yep. Oh, where she's, like, aggressively dancing, like, Nomi. I, like, I did not make that connection, but I'm like, God, this reminds me of Showgirls so much. They're, like, aggressively voguing at each other. It's so beautiful, like, for, for them. And then they have that beautiful... Um, light fixture that makes no sense in a nightclub but it's just <laughs> but like it's swinging hot. around other people's heads it's and like, so mm-hmm. great it's what's so funny is that michael douglas looks like an old man in a oh yeah i think on purpose well here well the thing with him is i don't know how old he was at that time but he never looked young He's, i think he yeah. was 47 oh, well, when this oh okay was filmed, wow. i think yeah what I read. that makes sense but he always had like this thing about him like the way he just looks and carries himself that he's always been like 50 until like now i don't know like he just it was just funny seeing him as like this old like detective guy bumping and grinding as far as, like him and sharon stone like i think on paper if you read the script it would sound ridiculous like the lines that they're given mm-hmm. are absurd yet somehow they like they act the shit out of it. Like it works because of how good of actors they are. But what is it about him that made him the like erotic thriller king? I don't necessarily get it. The, air. I, I mean, I think it started with like Wall Street. He just has that air of like cocaine. arrogance. And, <laughs> right. Yeah, Coked arrogance up. and cocaine and money. He's got like a lizard brain in these movies. He's acting yeah, like animal instincts. Sure. Yeah, for sure. It totally works He's for like me, unfortunately. He's like a really bad dude <laughs> yeah, in this movie. Right. It works for me, except... The first scene that he has with Beth, like that's just that's detestable. rape. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's like a rape scene early in the film, but to me that felt like commentary on the fact that like so much erotic thriller sex just looks like sexual violence, right? Yeah, and like the line between consent and non-consent in these films is like 
pretty much obliterated. Yeah. Like, I don't even know how to read that scene. It, it reads like a rape scene to me. me yeah. There's also yeah, a scene in Showgirls that's the same way. It's yeah. like, yeah. I had to, I, I was thinking about that with that scene because I never thought of it as a rape scene until like this recent watch. Yeah. I'm like, was it or was this like a kink being played out between both of them? I, it, the lines are very oh, blurry. It's so yeah. Yeah. But, but her reaction, his therapist's reaction after they have sex is, I think, a clue that that was rape. Like she doesn't even want to be touched by right, him because right. mm-hmm. she knows that was bad. And she made it pretty happened. clear that's not their normal dynamic. Either. Right. Yeah. Right. You don't normally, you've never done this before. Yeah. Like, like you said earlier, the, it is an erotic thriller, but the actual sex is not but erotic. I, I think that's kind of just reflecting the ugliness of erotic thrillers as a yeah. genre. Like mm-hmm. I think a lot of these movies, like the sex is like, throw me up against the wall, tear my clothes off. Right. And it reads more like fight choreography than it does reads like sex. Yeah. Yeah. I think on a deeper level and like what I really appreciate about, about the genre in general and like this is my favorite plot trajectory of any like plot template like someone knows that something is going to kill them and they keep doing it anyway yeah. because it makes them really horny. <laughs> Dude, but yeah. that, that's what I thought watching it again too was like That's a great plot. I think there's like also themes of like addiction yeah. in here like you know, they keep coming back to how he was oh, yeah. an alcoholic and he smoked cigarettes. Did he like kill someone? Yeah, and he killed and he's Shot like tourists. He was drunk. Yeah. <laughs> so he's like this former addict who like now he's clean and sober, whatever. And she keeps tempting him, like bringing him into the dark side. And like it's like one addiction feeds into the other. Like as soon as he starts drinking, he starts smoking cigarettes, he starts having anonymous yeah, sex, whatever. And it's exactly what you were saying, Brand. It's like, you know this thing is bad for you. It's going to kill you, but it feels so fucking good, mm-hmm. and you can't help yourself. And the whole time, he knows, like, she is a femme fatale. She will kill me. She's telling me that she'll kill me, and I can't help it. What I love about that trajectory in this movie is that he never lets up. Like, yeah. uh-huh. up until the very last shot, it's like, is she the murderer or isn't she? And, like... She might be about to stab him in the chest when they're finally having sex in the last scene. And like Verhoeven does not let up on that same plot the entire time. Like he's playing with a lethal pleasure for the entire length of the film. And I love that as an audience, just being toyed with. Like I wasn't sure, like, did Gene Triplehorn as the uh therapist, mm-hmm. like, is she mm-hmm. the killer? Like I, I was halfway convinced for like about 30 seconds, but it was still there. I was like, oh, wait, maybe... She- oh, okay, never mind. That was Sharon so, Stone is still in control here. It's so funny, like, hearing your reaction and reading Ebert's review. Like, Ebert, that's what he hated about this movie. Was, <laughs> yeah. He was like, I want definitive answer. Like, and the ending could have gone either way, and I was just being toyed with the whole time. And I was thinking, like, that's why it's so great. Right. I feel like the last shot is pretty definitive proof that she is the killer. Yeah, I agree. Gene Triplethorne was like planning to do that in that room and left her ice pick. Uh, (laughs) I didn't. Well, I think it's that's why it was on the ground because she was too weird with it, right? Like, well, the sex choreography is she keeps reaching back for this thing that we mm -hmm. don't know. Like, it's like a fake out because she keeps recreating the kill. The kill in the original novel is that the guy's has his hands tied to the headboard. And then the lady's riding him and then grabs the ice pick and stabs him a bunch in the chest and the face. The few times that Michael Douglas and Sharon Stone have sex on screen, Sharon Stone is doing the same choreography mm-hmm. where she yeah. keeps reaching back and right. then like almost changing her mind. What if she knows who the killer is and like 
that makes her horny. It's like <laughs> pretending, like reenacting it, but not doing it. What I couldn't tell is the first time they have sex, his hands are tied up mm-hmm. and she reaches back like that. And he has the best sex of his life. So like in that scene, to me, it's like the thought that he was about to die made him so horny. It's the same reason people like to get choked during yeah. sex. It's like that danger increases his pleasure. The last scene, I feel like it's even different where like she might have been fucking with him the first time. The last scene, she has no reason to fuck with him anymore. Yeah. And it's him okay. talking about settling having kids down. Yeah. and having mm-hmm. and settling down and not doing this like dangerous sex anymore. And she's like, well, I guess fuck, I have to kill no. this guy and move on. <laughs> and then she You're changes her mind yeah. when he's like, never mind. I don't want kids. Right. Let's just have sex forever. And she's like, okay, I don't have <laughs> yeah, to stab you. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah. yeah. I, so there is this woman Susan Faludi who wrote a book called Backlash about all of these like all this media that was in response to women become like joining the workforce basically and there are a lot of erotic thrillers like Fatal Attraction where there's like a career woman who is insane basically and a man kind of leaves his wife for a powerful woman and it's like the deadliest mistake he could make disclosure was another one with michael douglas i watched recently the same, same <laughs> yeah. trajectory yeah yeah and like i just love sharon stone's character as a contrast to those women because she is extremely successful she is totally in control of the narrative of the story the entire time she you know she has a double major in psychology and literature and like she's found a way to kind of escape any gendered expectations of her like she can have she can fuck women she can fuck men and she is like domineering and submissive whenever she wants to be and the only thing that like threatens her existence is like oh settling down and having a kid like conscripting (laughs) her into that role is unthinkable to her she's like oh no 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 i need to like murder this guy (laughs) and then they move on from it and She's like, okay, fine. I just love that. I love that she's not punished in this movie. And I think with Verhoeven, like, you always have to accept that he's both giving you the tropes and um, morality of the movies that he's making, but also subverting them, Mm -hmm. which is very difficult for some people. Like, there's still people who think that, like, Robocop is copaganda. And there's still people who think that, like, Starship Troopers is fascist. Right. It's like, because he, he toes that line where it's like both really satirical, but it also looks like the real deal yeah. at the same time. Hmm. And uh, yeah, I love this movie for I, doing that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it might be the ultimate erotic thriller. I mean, yeah. Considering the three people who are like the sort of like auteurs behind it, like Esteraz, uh, Douglas, and Verhoeven, like the only person you're missing is um, Adrian Lyne. Uh-huh. Right. And he's making a new one soon. He's got that Ben Affleck. Well, uh, I was going to say, I feel year. like this and Fatal Attraction are like in the competition for me mm-hmm. for like ultimate erotic mm. thriller. And I, I didn't love Fatal Attraction yeah. much when we watched it. Really? And I like a lot of movies that are influenced by it, but like it was just too morally yeah. icky to I me. I hate the ending of Fatal well, Attraction. Yeah. And the ending is not what... I think the director yeah. wanted the studio, pre- but anyway, like I, I feel like this one fixes a lot of the problems yeah. of Fatal Attraction. I, I I would agree with that. Mm-hmm. I don't know what the ultimate erotic thriller is. I think it might be. I, I need to sit down and really think. about Honestly, it. I think it's more recent than any of these. I think it's like Double Lover or Knife and Heart or The Wild Boys. Like I feel like a lot of modern 
I'll go ahead and say it. European filmmakers are like <laughs> doing more interesting things with the erotic yeah. thriller format now. That makes me interested in going back and watching all these sort of mainstream versions of it. But like, but who's like the erotic thriller like granddaddy? You know what I mean? Like, it's either Adrian Lyne or Joe Esteraz or Michael Douglas or Paul <laughs> but, but I those, think those are like the four people. American flavored. Erotic oh yeah, like thriller. the genuine object. Yeah, this yeah. is it. This is I'm, the one. Yeah. yeah, which is great because Paul Verhoeven is not American. Yeah, he's European. He's yeah, yeah. <laughs> but he, but he did it. I feel the like best. he really understands American mm-hmm. sensibilities. The the pornographic nature of like Hollywood filmmaking yeah. is something he deeply understands. Yeah, but I I would say I I think the best erotic thrillers are coming out now in France. <laughs> like, I really would point out like Double Lover, Knife and Heart, and mm. The Wild Boys is like the height of the genre to me or what was the one on the beach uh stranger by the lake that's another really good one from recently oh, i yeah. did like that yeah. one yeah oh so you weren't talking about old no not <laughs> not, that, <laughs> not, not that erotic, erotic. no yeah. not an erotic movie our last movie is also from 1992 the same year as basic instinct and i think brings this subject back to the domestic mm. murders of the uh, original film we talked about today yeah and so the movie i wanted to talk about which is kind of like it was a childhood film for me like i watched this movie a lot with my mom growing up it's from 1992 called the hand that rocks the cradle so it's kind of like this quintessential story about you have michael and claire this very happy upper middle class couple who claire's pregnant with their second child and she goes to the gynecologist and in a very uncomfortable scene is essentially raped out of nowhere. Yeah. Like, and he looks like the biggest creep. Too. And he does. Yeah. And I've seen that actor and other things and he always, he always looks creepy <laughs> and she decides to report him to the board. And then it, these other women come out and say he did the same thing to them. And he ends up committing suicide because of the accusations that are building up. And that causes his wife to have a miscarriage and also causes her to not get the insurance money. So she's basically screwed. And some time passes. Claire and Michael have their baby boy and they're looking for a new nanny. And this woman, Peyton, shows up, who it turns out is the gynecologist's wife and the rest of the film is her subtly and not so subtly like manipulating the family. She does things like breastfeeds the boy so that he is more drawn to her. She also is manipulating their daughter uh, by, you know, little secrets where the daughter's getting bullied at school and she goes to the, in a really great scene goes to the kid and is like, (laughs) don't fuck with her and like twist his arm. And then she's yeah. like, all right, it's a secret you yeah. know, between us. She's like, if you bother her again, I will rip your head off. Rip yeah. your fucking head off. All the other kids think it's super cool. Yeah. I know, like as she's leaving, the little girl's like, oh, wow, my mom doesn't do that. Yeah, and, and she's also doing stuff like flirting with the husband and, yes. you know, so she's working her way into this family and, the whole film has this, you know, we talk a lot about lifetime. It's like kind of a more big budget lifetime feel to it. And it kind of, the thrill of the movie is watching her 
manipulate and destroy this family from the inside. And there's also this side character, uh, this handyman played by Ernie Hudson, who's like a mentally challenged black. That's uncomfortable. Yeah. It is. I I wanted to talk about that because like every time I revisit this film, I kind of flip flop on that character because it feels really wrong and icky. But watching it this latest time, I'm like, I'm okay with it. Like it works in terms of the story and he does a good job with the character. I think we're kind of beyond the point of having mentally it's just a different era. Yeah. If you're like, it's a different era, a mentally abled person playing a disabled character. Like, I don't know. It just like feels like it feels wrong. feels wrong. Yeah. But that was but, like such, I think the only movie that, what was her name Mar- marley matlin or whatever like uh-huh. i think that's probably the only time there was ever someone who truly had like some kind of disability that played that character that just wasn't a thing right but when he like eventually stands up to her to peyton at the end like it feels good and it feels oh, yeah. right like in he's the story. like the hero at the end kind of, yeah but they play with like different fears with him that like push it a little bit like yeah. the first introduction of him at their window it's like I feel like this whole movie is like suburban fears. Yeah. The first introduction of him at the window, it's like scary that this like black man is looking into their house. And that's more of a commentary on their point of view than on his. Well, that's how I took the whole film, honestly. Like there's even, you know, the climactic scene where Peyton gets thrown into like the picket fence and it it seems to me all to be- (laughs) Subtle. Which is- but, (laughs) but, But it seems to be saying like, the suburban fears are always of like the outside. Right. It's like the scary black man and yeah. really like you should be scared of the shit in your own house. Yeah. And that's like the thesis of the film. And I feel like that character works for me in that regard. But the the film is just like, it's fun lifetime, slightly elevated trash. It's good. And Rebecca De Mornay as Peyton is like, intense best ice cold she ever ice cold and it's always the blonde yeah the evil blonde and kind of like we were talking about fatal attraction it's like yeah. you have the brunette the the really good <laughs> wife and mother and you let in this crazy psycho blonde <laughs> Brunettes your versus life. the blonde. It is no, yeah. and that's like a trope in these films. I never and this is like, it. and this one throws in a uh, neutral party and uh, Julianne Moore as the right. redhead, <laughs> who's great. Yeah, <laughs> as the best woman. friend. Yeah, and she she's great too. The curious redhead. She's like a no nonsense business bitch in this yeah. movie, and it's yeah. perfect casting. It's so she's awesome. great. So I don't know, the the movie has always kind of worked yeah. for me. I think it just does exactly what it mm-hmm. set out to do. So. I don't know, what did you guys think about Hand That Rocks the Cradle? So I have a very similar history with this movie like you. Like me and my mom watched the shit out of this growing up. <laughs> and my cousin who like we grew up like brother and sister. Every time he comes sleep over, we'd be like, oh my God, the Hand That Rocks the Cradle's on. Woo. Is this the same cousin you would reenact scenes from Misery with? Yes. Yeah. Oh God. <laughs> oh, what a fun playtime activity. No. <laughs> he would. He knew all of the all of Peyton's lines, and I think one time he got punished because he did the. <laughs> when you fuck your husband, it's my face. <gasps> oh yeah, that's a great line. great soundbite. During the line reenactment parties right. we'd have, yeah. 
But yeah, this movie is just like the ultimate, like if you're trying to think of like just real good lifetime everything, like I think this and like Flowers on the Attic are kind of on par with that. But this film is so good because Re- Rebecca DeMornay is fucking terrifying in this mm-hmm. movie. Yes. Like, when she gets violent, it's ugh, really scary. She has like little rat teeth that come out. <laughs> she's like, and like her rat teeth. And then while she's like emptying out all the inhalers. Right. <laughs> right. That's very lever to heaven, right? Like it's the same thing as like tiring out Danny in the canoe. Yeah. Just her emptying the inhalers and like Yeah. She's not actually like strangling someone to death or something. She's just like using their like physical disability against yeah. them. I like I don't know, like rewatching it this go around, what like I what I stayed stuck on was like why is she putting all this effort into avenging her piece of shit husband. Well, the the thing I thought I agree with that. It was just weird, but, but it's also I get it. like the <laughs> only time that I ever see her genuinely light up is during the inter- and I I I mean this could be an act, but I took it as genuine when she's in the interview with Claire and saying like I love children, I love being around them. Like I genuinely believe that she loves children. Mm. And I mean she lost her husband but she also lost her house and she lost her and baby her, and yeah. she, she had to have, have an emergency children. hysterectomy. Right. So she can never be. So she's like totally thrust outside of that maternal role and she will yes. do anything to get it back. You're yeah, right. Like she would be a probably a great mother, but she won't have the chance. <laughs> That's so what she, reminds me of Leave, Leave Her to Heaven yeah. as well as like that. Like it's very domestic. Like I mm-hmm, want to be the right. best wife. I want to be the best mother. So that was more of the trigger was probably I lost my kid and I want to take your kid because you made right. me lose my kid. Yeah. There is a movie called Maternal Instincts I'd like to recommend mm. starring Delta Burke. Ooh. It's also a Lifetime movie and it's kind of similar ish where she loses a baby and she blames like the doctor who's also pregnant. Mm-hmm. We need to do an actual Lifetime episode at some yeah, point. Yeah, that needs to happen. <laughs> Just like actual Lifetime originals, because this is oh, like yeah. skirting the outskirts yeah. of it. Uh-huh. But well, related to that, the the Lifetime thing, watching this right before watching Basic Instinct, one thing that struck me was like, you know, like I was talking about in Basic Instinct, like Paul Verhoeven is a great director and that movie is stylish. Like it's got cool shots and cool like choreography with the camera and all that. And this feels lifetime in the sense that it doesn't have any stylistic traits at all. If you told someone this played on TV before any other format, it'd be totally believable. Yeah, absolutely. If this is like a straight to TV movie, there's nothing like really distinguishing from that other than like there are some movie stars in it. And Mm -hmm. well, and there's curse words. There's cusses and titties. But but like (laughs) just like formalistically, like stylistically it's kind of devoid of any mm-hmm. style. It's just like, here's the shot actors say your lines. And that to me is kind of what the lifetime aesthetic yeah. is. This movie also made like over a hundred million dollars at the Rightfully box office. So. And like, right? uh, yeah. it was like a, you know, water cooler conversation topic for yeah. a while, which is like, cause I think it plays into like fears that a lot of uh, women have, I would assume. Yeah. It's like, you have this like hot nanny mm-hmm. that, <laughs> your kids like more than you (laughs) and you're like just had a baby and you're kind of in that motherly mode and you're just like oh this like hot blonde woman's coming in and getting my husband all like riled up and shit i think the other thing is like because 
Peyton doesn't actually ever get the husband. Like, right. he never cheats on Claire. Good he's, man. A, he's like, she's standing in front of him in a, like, soaked nighty with the refrigerator right. like glowing right on and he's like, like an angel. you know there's only one woman for me but i think there's another fear that like you will become so jealous or like you will be so clouded yeah. that you will drive the people you love away and that's like her worst fear realized at the birthday party like she uh peyton has manipulated th- this like surprise party which is gotten um claire's husband to like team up with marlene to plan it and peyton's also sowed seeds in claire that like oh he's still in love with marlene so she's like she comes home she has found marlene's lighter in his coat pocket and she's like you've been fucking marlene and there's like a surprise party there for her like all these people yeah and she's just totally humiliated herself like i think that's like becoming the shrew wife like that trope that is terrifying as oh. well this is a great movie but this is exactly the kind of movie that i cannot watch like i <laughs> and it was i had the same reaction when we watched from justin to kelly like <laughs> any movie that is like They're like three's company plot yeah exactly an and so, right and someone like manipulating other people's perception of you like i i literally had my hands in front of my face the entire like i just can't handle it it's hmm. i i don't know what it is but like i can watch people murdering other people all day well it did remind me a little bit of a false positive that we talked about recently mm-hmm. like the mommy brain right yeah. thing Ooh. like oh you're you're just you right, know, you forgot crazy. to bring you're your husband's emotional. FedEx package. You right, just lost oh, it at the park. God. Oh, lost that proposal. I hate yeah. it. Oh, so bad. See, I, I, love, I love that, that scene where though. she like goes into the bathroom oh, yeah, stall and, she, oh, and you just, see that oh. violence pop out, yeah. and she just starts. That's her banging. Nick Cageian like freak out <sighs> moment. Is yeah. her slamming that plunger in the bathroom <laughs> stall against the walls and screaming. You don't that, get a lot of that in this movie. She's more icy than that. Yeah, I don't know. I love that. Like just watching this and seeing the way she manipulates everyone like i i it's just so delicious and i find it very entertaining mm-hmm. I, I do think it's kind of an anonymous movie though like compared to all the other ones like you were just saying like it's kind of devoid of like a visual style it is yeah and i do feel like you could get what happens in this movie and the kind of like payoffs of this film in other stuff like i, I recently watched mother's boys with um jamie lee curtis recently <laughs> such a good movie and that's like a mainstream in the theater version of the Lifetime film. Yeah. And then actual Lifetime movies like deliver this kind of stuff as well. And like, it's just like, if you like this, there are plenty of other movies that deliver the same thing. I'm trying yeah. to, get, I'm trying to like parse out what makes this one special. I think it's Rebecca De Mornay. Yeah. Like the, the intricacies of that one performance. Yeah. This being mm-hmm. purely evil. And I love like how there's the toned down suburban setting. Cause that makes it even scarier. Mm-hmm. Because it makes it feel, I guess, like more relatable to more people. But there really is no, I, to Brandon's point, like there's no iconic, you know, like fatal attraction. There was the bunny in the. Yeah. There's no like that, like iconic. Maybe her Rube Goldberg contraption in the greenhouse where she kills Julianne Moore. Like yeah. that's the thing, watching it again, like the one real kill in this movie is super lame. I mean, like rigging the greenhouse of the glass falls and I guess impales her. Like, there's no good shot of like a gory aftermath there. No. I feel like the, the biggest scene I see, like, that would be the 
you know, like the ending scene of Fatal Attraction, like that holds that. It's just her like breastfeeding the fucking yes, baby. Exactly. Yeah, that's, that's what weird. I think too. Yeah. That's that, the spooky. It is like so, such an invasive idea. Like she sets an alarm at three o'clock in the morning <sighs> to go up and breastfeed the child. Fucking psycho. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like generally there's a lot of like iconography of motherhood, like, uh, like, the baby monitors are like a mm-hmm. part of the plot and there's like the breast <laughs> pump is like right it's the focal point like there's a lot of like just like visual icons of like early motherhood that yeah. i feel like the movie's like teasing that a lot even just the terror of going to a gynecologist and you're like trusting this person with mm-hmm. your body mm-hmm. and that they're going to be professional and like medical about it yeah uh, like that terror it does come out of nowhere in the movie but it kind of makes sense with like the other things that it's like twisting the knife with. that always freaked me out the most like and then when i was of age where i'm like i have to see a gynecologist i'm like i'm not going to a fucking man no because of the hand that rocks the cradle literally was what i told the people I, at the doctor's <laughs> office i think too like this they're is like, pretty okay, we get it this is pretty trite but like i think just the title the like the hand that rocks the cradle is such a fucking great Julianne Moore gets to deliver the yeah. titular yeah. line as well. And she's no, like, what is it? She eats it the up. The hand and, I, and the baby. Oh, yeah. And she's smoking while she says right. it. She's like, oh, yeah. I oh, love yeah. when movies do that where they just like, here's the title of the film and how why it's the title. Right. And like, This is the theme. That title is perfect. The hand that it's rocks the cradle. bone chilling. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's bone chilling. I do think the Ernie Hudson stuff kind of cheapens the terror. They're like, all the medical motherhood stuff makes total sense. Yeah. And then you have Ernie Hudson, like, first as, like, this, like, backyard invader threat. And then, like, okay, he's actually, like, just a really sweet But then, like, oh, he man. might be molesting Oh, he also might child. be molesting your child. Like, well, I, I don't just don't know what he brings to the movie. Like, if the character wasn't there, if it would I be any it different. almost showed how, like, real cold-blooded she was, like, to take advantage of someone who mm-hmm. was, like, mentally ill. When she bullies him and they're one-on-one, that's oh, pretty rough. Yeah. So mean. So I think, like, that and be like, wow, like, she's going that far to, like, yeah. do that. I, I buy that. I mean, and I think his main purpose is, like, like we were saying from the very beginning, oh, this outside threat. Yeah. And then we let him in our house and then it's, like, manipulated, like, that he's the threat when he's not like, you should just be looking at the people closest to you. It does make it a more generalized, like white suburbia thing and right. not as much like a motherhood thing. To me, you felt like a direct stand in for like white suburban racism, basically. And yeah. I, I feel like he is much more central to the theme than I thought initially, because the first scene is him coming onto the property. And then the last scene, like, I feel like, the emotional climax is her telling him, like, yes, you can hold the baby. Like, now I trust you with my child. And I feel like, I mean, me and James talked about this. Like, first of all, there is this trope in film about, like, a mentally challenged person having natural insight into character. So he can see right it's like away a childlike that, wisdom. right, exactly, yeah. that Peyton is, like, mm-hmm. evil. But also, I feel like like he needed to be black to stand in for this racist thing. But if if he wasn't mentally challenged, he could just very easily communicate like, <laughs> hey, I think something's like yeah, fucked she's up. She's not but, right. <laughs> yeah, this is weird. So I don't know. I feel like it was it just feels really clumsy. It does help too to make it like more white liberal instead of like white conservative. Right. Like, they want to be doing these like 
feel good charity things right with this, yeah, like, yeah. Uh, yeah. they're battling with their own like yeah. racism yeah. racism yeah it's interesting I, I don't i don't necessarily think like oh we should take him out of the movie i'm just like questioning yeah. what well, brings him to i think if you would have removed that you might have had a more pure film about the fears of motherhood right but by injecting him into the story it becomes a larger thing about white suburbia mm-hmm. and and again like yeah kind of like Lady Snowblood, like where the villain falls on the Japanese and American flag, the way Peyton falls on like the picket fence. That is so unsubtle. It's so <laughs> That's unsubtle. like that David Lynch shot where you go below the lawn and there's like worms under the ground. Right. Yeah. <laughs> like, but I love that. Like, yeah, it's funny. I think that's cool. And I don't know. I feel like his character in this sort of brings it to like that level of like political discourse. Yeah. I just don't know that there's anything this movie does that you cannot find in most Lifetime movies. And I like that. I like ending that here just because it feels like this is kind of pointing to how Lifetime continues these like women killer traditions mm-hmm. into the future and like are still doing it all mm-hmm. the time. As is tradition. Yeah. Right. <laughs> women keep killing and we yeah. keep making movies about it. I know. And now they're just like Lifetime is expanding its realm. It's letting gra- grandmas kill was a huge thing like two mm. years ago. Yeah. Um, Psycho granny. Psycho grannies. So God knows what's next. I know there was a movie called Karen that came out last year that was about. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> Karen types. Oh, um, yeah. 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 <laughs> I didn't see it, but uh, it seemed like a good evolution. Of the I haven't form. watched it either. I know what you're talking about. Yeah. I do. I feel bad for the name Karen. It's like a fine name. I understand like the trope and I, but you know karen's a nice I think name. of karen carpenter and she yeah. seems Dude, like the nicest lady i watched a video of her recently like drumming and she was she's good she's a phenomenal talented. drummer wow she's so talented well i do feel like a lifetime thriller episode is like imminent yeah it's unavoidable it's at this point like yeah <laughs> just wait until my next turn i'm surprised right? it has not happened yeah Brittany um, had us do a double feature uh, of Betty Broderick. A woman, woman scorned. scorned. Uh, yeah. uh, and I feel like that was opening the floodgates. Like, we, that we was just a lot cannot of fun. The subject yeah. now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, next episode on this show, though, we're going to talk about Alien. Probably all the movies in the Alien franchise will come up. I kind of wanted to just discuss its you know place in modern culture. So what I did was I chose Neutral Ground. I picked this movie called Memory, The Origins of Alien, which is streaming for free on Tubi. Yeah. And also available through the New Orleans Library. It's where I got my Mm. DVD copy. But it is a documentary about the myths that influenced the creation of the film Alien. Oh, wow. Um, Cool. Something I've been thinking about a lot over the past year, because I rewatched all the films in the franchise last year. And I also watched Life Force with y'all recently. Oh, yes. I've been thinking a lot about Alien and like why it exists. Mm -hmm. I don't know. So we're going to talk a lot about like the origins of that franchise uh, next episode and probably a lot of hot takes about ranking the different alien movies against each other because my tastes are wildly out of sync with everyone else. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, in the meantime, check out swampflex.com. I am trying to clear out my back catalog right now. So like there are one review per day right now, Ooh. like full seven day a week cycle of uh, <laughs> new movie reviews on the website. Wow. Mostly classic genre films and maybe a couple jackass movies mixed in there as well. <laughs> Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye.